we did over $250 million in refinancings last year, and we will do uh, orders of magnitude above that this year. Do you think you'll break a billion? Uh, we'll see. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Kevin Bennett. He's the CEO of Modo Refi, a mission-driven fintech startup revolutionizing consumers' financial relationships with their cars. As an experienced CEO, he spent over 10 years launching and leading startups from early to late stage. He holds an MBA from the University of Virginia, a JD from Georgetown University, and a BA from Brown University. Kevin, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. You bet. Okay, so how are you helping consumers uh, better finance or better understand the financing of their cars? Yeah, so most consumers' cars aren't doing them any financial favors. Uh, what they get at the dealership, you know, in, the, in that transaction, and they drive off with a big stack of paper that they usually haven't read or probably won't read. It's you know above market interest rates. Often it, they're being overcharged on those insurance products they get at the dealer, like gap insurance warranties, and we help put them in uh, better uh, auto loans, lower price. We often cut the interest rate in half. Um, with community banks, credit unions, are their lending partners, and help them save money. What are the rates typically? I'm not. I'm just not familiar. What are the rates typically? We typically will get folks in rates that vary from anywhere from five percent to twenty five percent. It's pretty amazing. We have rates on our platform as low as one point four nine, and so we'll often cut those rates in half, and we save our customers on average a hundred dollars a month on their payment. Interesting. Okay. And so where do you enter sort of the customer journey? Are you selling directly through dealerships or how's it work? We are refinancing. So uh, oftentimes anyone's bought a car, they realize they're getting all of that at the dealer. They're getting their loan at the dealer. They're getting those financial products at the dealer and insurance products. And we are actually helping them often discover refinancing. Most consumers don't even know they can refinance their car and save money. And so we're helping them realize that that's uh, a financial moment in their lives that just like refinancing your home, uh, where you can save money on your uh, on your car, and that's you know that hundred dollars a month is grocery, gas, stuff for the kids. It's real value for folks. Oh, it's very, it's especially today. I mean, it's very real value. So, I mean, guess give me a sense here. I want to put this on a timeline. We're going to go back to your day one here in a second, but I guess last year, last twelve months, how many of these did you refi? Yeah, it's it's been pretty wild. So we did over two hundred and fifty million dollars in refinancings last year. And we will do uh, orders of magnitude above that this year. Do you think you'll break a billion? Uh, we'll see. I mean, is it possible? You, you obviously know your numbers. You have projections. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I think in, in the COVID world and what's happening, I think a year ago, uh, if we were sitting here, COVID was just becoming a thing. So uh, I, I've learned not to try and predict the future too much, but we're we're growing again by orders of magnitude. So I think we're really excited. But about does that. COVID, do more people refi when they have issues and they're being laid off because of a pandemic or, or do less people refi? Was it a, you know, a headwind for you or, or a negative for you? I'd say a slight tailwind. I mean, what you've seen is that Consumers are looking, um, you know, whether or not that they are personally impacted, they know people are impacted, they're thinking about their finances, uh, rates are relatively low. And so you've seen a lot of folks uh, refinance their homes, for example, and that has driven awareness uh, with people refinancing their cars, learning what else they can do to help right size their finances, optimize their personal finances. And what's the 250 million is sort of hard for audience to like wrap their mind around at such a big number. How many people is that that you helped? Yeah, so it's it's thousands and thousands of people, um, and we, we haven't released the exact number, and kind of won't, won't break that here on this on this podcast. But uh, many thousands of people across the country, nationwide. So uh, really excited about the growth and uh, continue to grow that this year. Okay, so take me back to day one. When did you launch the company? So it, it's a actually a really interesting story. So this is a venture build out of QED, uh, verticalized fintech fund started by Nigel Morris, who co-founded Capital One, and then co-founded with a number of his uh, former uh, colleagues and executives from Capital One co-founded QED as a venture fund, and they started right around 2008. Led the Series A in Credit Karma. Have uh, now invest globally in fintech. They've been very successful, and and what they've done in venture, uh, you know, that pattern recognition skill is tried and true. And so when they see an opportunity uh, in the market where where someone isn't necessarily taking advantage of the market dynamics or the opportunity for innovation, they'll stand something up. And so they actually. Uh, effectively, in, in an interesting way, we found, we co-founded the company with our initial uh, venture capital investor, QED. And that happened end of 2016, early 2017. And I actually joined when they uh, got you know their first uh, little bit of traction uh, as the first CEO of the team in, in mid-2018. Okay. So, I mean, two years, that was a big period. 2016 to 2018, what, what's going on? I mean, who's running the thing? Yeah, so I'd say it was the very end of 16, so you're really looking about 12, 18 month period. And so that was, you know, initially, as is often the founding story, you have your your first engineers starting up and, and building the platform. You're just starting to think through the kind of vision and the commercialization, and and you're just beginning to take it to market. Not really at market scale yet, um, but but just getting there. And, and so I was fortunate to to work with uh, Nigel and Matt Risley, who's on our board, Frank Rotman, uh, other great folks at QED and, and great folks on the team, uh, which was very small and, and uh, initially just literally the equivalent of starting out of your garage in this case was starting in the VC's basement, uh, which is where they were based. So uh, we you know, moved us out to our actual first office, kind of moved out of the basement, got our first apartment as it were, and, uh, and then went from there. So you joined officially in 2018, but can you give us a little sense of you personally? Were you an exited founder? Like, how did you get connected to the QED folks? And why not just go do your own thing instead of, you know, jumping on the back of basically someone else's baby? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really exciting for me. I mean, I think I, I had just uh, wrapped up and sold a startup I had co-founded. Uh, with Mike Spainhauer, who actually eventually came in to be our VP of engineering and is our VP of engineering today. What, what um, company we, was that, that that you sold? Homezen. And that helped people save money actually selling their homes. So I had gone through the residential real estate side of things and the financing and where people could save homes, save money. 
then really fell in love with this idea on auto refinancing and auto is a moment. When you think about the industry and what they saw and what we saw was student lending had had its SoFi moment where there was digital transformation that really changed the way people thought about and could access uh, financing for their education and manage that uh, efficiently. And when you look at mortgage, there had been Rocket Mortgage, Better Mortgage, Now Better, had really transformed and is in the process of transforming mortgage industry. Um, but, but that really hadn't happened in auto yet. And there was this great opportunity for a, you know, auto as an asset class, over $1.2 trillion, the same size as student loans, um, but hadn't seen the same innovation. And so really a huge opportunity to help consumers. And, and my experience is in mission-driven startups, uh, very, very focused on, on the mission and, and the values of the company. And saw the same opportunity, and and early on we agreed to the grandma test. We weren't going to sell anyone anything that we wouldn't sell to our own grandmother or grandfather, and and that's how we operate the business. And you know, with a tremendous opportunity, so it's been uh, a great win-win uh, for our, for our investors, for lenders we partner with, for our consumers uh, and the team. Kevin, how does Motor Refi make money? So uh, a few ways. Uh, consumers pay us a uh, low. Uh, origination fee or processing fee. And that is for the technology, the convenience. For example, we save them the trip to the DMV. We take care of that for them. That gets Are we talking like, the- we're talking like 20 bucks, something like that, or is it more it, larger? It ends up being a couple bucks a month, like wrapped into the loan. And so it becomes easy. And, and when I, we say, I say we save people $100 a month, that's net of all fees. So that's $100 a month on their payments that they are saving. And so for a couple bucks a month for the consumer, our lenders are paying us for those loans because we are acquiring new members for the credit unions and helping them through the process. And so, so you're not doing, you don't have, there's not a balance sheet business behind this. You're selling these, you're basically underwriting and selling them off. And then other people are like QED capital and are doing the actual lending. So it's with our partners, credit unions, community banks across the country. And they are, they actually give us their underwriting. We partner with them so we can underwrite an auto decision on our platform. So that means for a consumer, they can get a firm offer of credit in seconds. Okay. I guess what I'm asking though, like there's a lot of fintech businesses today that are actually taking real balance sheet risk. There's others like Lendio, which are just sitting in the middle, making high margin profits off referring business out, but doing the underwriting and the data analysis. What model are you doing? Correct. We're closer to the latter in that we are not balance sheeting any loans. Which makes sense considering how the company was founded. I mean, you've got a lot of financial partners that probably want exposure to this asset class anyway. So with that being said, the question is, and this is what makes Lendio so valuable, is why do people trust your underwriting better than other forms of underwriting or even direct competitors? What data sources are you using to refi these and still not have them go into default risk? So we run a matching marketplace. And what that means is we consumers are getting a digital experience that they're not getting elsewhere. And through some initial data they provide and some third-party data pools, we provide a very rich data set. We get the underwriting from our lenders again. So our lenders are underwriting these loans, but we're really matching customers with the best offers from our variety or suite of lenders. And that gives us a more robust blended credit box. So depending on the credit policies from our different lending partners, we're matching that consumer with the absolute best rate and offer that they could get on the market based on our, our tier and group of lenders. How many lending partners last year did you source at least one refi for? So we don't release the aggregate numbers, but we doubled the number of lenders in the platform last year. Okay. Is there a range you can try? Maybe we're talking like 10 or 1,000. Uh, less than 1,000 is probably a safe bet. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, got it. And then you mentioned that I cut you off. You said you make money a bunch of ways, a couple bucks a month on the refi stuff. How else do you make money? 
Yep. Uh, I mentioned that those lenders are paying us for the loans that we're originating and, and processing for them. And finally, on those, those I products of the F&I products at the dealership, so gap insurance, warranties, we are uh, offering those products at a much lower rate than consumers are paying at the dealership. And so they can often get a refund in the mail, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 back by canceling the policy they have, which they're probably overpaying on, and then getting a policy through us and wrapping it into their financing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What is the, uh, again, I haven't bought a car since I think 2011. I'm just not a big car driver being a millennial and using Uber all the time. I probably should, but what is the average like size of a refi these days? Like, is it like 10 grand or I don't know. I just have no idea. It's significantly larger. I mean, I, it oh, ran, wow. but it could be, you know, 15 to 30 easily, sometimes North of 30. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that, I mean, so is that sort of a fair average between 15 and 30 for most refis? Um, yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, it goes a little north of 30 and, but, but down to 15 is about right. And most people are overpaying at the dealer. It actually makes sense to refinance pretty quickly. And so there's a lot of residual value on that vehicle and you can save money over a longer period of time. Interesting. And then again, I don't do a lot of, you know, interviews or data or understanding or studying on the B2C sort of balance sheet business from fintech models. I'm more on the B2B side. I know on the B2B side, though, one of the ways a lot of these folks make money is they're, again, they're charging a one to sometimes two, two and a half percent sort of referral fee, right? When they, when they have a lending provider that actually fills a loan that they helped underwrite and collect data on. Are you, I mean, I imagine your rates are obviously different with every lending partner, but is it generally sort of in the one to 5% range for each one you sell off? Uh, so that's where the lenders pay us for the for the loans that we're originating for them, for sure. Exactly. I'm just curious, is it ba- is it a percentage? And is the percentage somewhere between sort of one and five usually, or is it lower or higher? Yeah, ballpark, that's roughly right. Interesting. Do you, do you, when you look at B2C like models like yours, I mean, is this the revenue, is this sort of the revenue model of the future for these fintech players? You have experience at homes and you have experience here. Is there anything you change about the business model and opportunity you see that's not being executed yet? No, I think we're really excited. I mean, we think when you look at the opportunity in the space, there's so much opportunity for innovation. There's so much opportunity to provide a better digital experience, to leverage data, to be more efficient, both on the consumer side and the lender side. And that's where we're creating a ton of value. We think that business model uh, that we have really reflects that, where the consumer isn't paying most of the cost. It's really split a number of different ways, and that, that allows everyone to win. Yep, that makes sense. Now, when you look at your three different revenue models that you just articulated, the uh, origination fee spread out over the term of the of the refi, the selling it off to a lender, and then also, I think you said gap and warranties and the direct products like this, uh, without asking, obviously, absolute numbers, you probably don't want to share those, but on a percentage basis, can you break down like last year is 100%, what percent was in each of these buckets? Uh, it's about even within each. Oh, wow. So, okay. So it's about 30, 33 through 30. Yeah, I mean, roughly speaking, I wouldn't give exact percentages, but... Are you more bullish or bearish on any one of these lines over the next five years? No, we're not. I mean, we think all makes sense and are a great deal. I mean, the consumer, again, net of fees is saving $100 a month on on the refinance, and that's $1,200 a year, obviously, in in real money. And for the lenders, it's a great deal. We operate up to 20% more efficiently when it comes to approval rates and funding rates uh, based on the data integrations we have, based on the software we run. So... Uh, incredibly efficient for the lenders, uh, which provides a faster, better experience for the consumer, but also efficiency for the lender. So we think we've got a great value prop uh, for all of our partners and are really excited just to keep growing and scaling the business.
with the federal government printing money like crazy, there's a lot of people arguing cost of capital, right? I mean, capital is basically becoming a commodity in some of these aspects. Does that put downward pressure on your ability to charge, even if it is just a couple extra dollars per month as an origination fee? I, well, I think when we're delivering savings, I mean, the reality is our value proposition to consumers is, is free money, right? We're, we're saving them $100 a month where they wouldn't otherwise get that, uh, that savings. So we're, we're really excited about the value prop and, and we don't, we don't see a lot of resistance to, to the model. In fact, people are really excited about being able to say, let me, yeah, sorry. Let me re-ask that the, the, th the thousand or so, or less than a thousand lending partners that you have as they see more pressure because there's more sources of capital, because there's more capital in the marketplace, they're going to be less and less likely to have margin to pay you your one to 5%. Do you see down or do you anticipate downward pressure on that line of your revenue? So we actually see auto as an asset class being more compelling relative to other asset classes uh, based on the return and risk profile. So we see more emphasis and growth in, in auto lending, actually, vis-a-vis uh, -vis other uh, other types of lending. So while there could be impact on other areas uh, of uh, a bank or lender's business, we're not seeing it in auto. Interesting. Is there any data business here? Are you selling data related to these refis to anyone else besides folks that are on your cap table directly? We are not. So there, there is a ton of opportunity in the data. We are generating a lot of data. That data gets uh, compoundingly more valuable and effective in helping us op uh, operationalize our business, optimize our business. And we're really excited about it. But we're just using it to help uh, increase and improve our value prop to our lenders and our customers. You just recently did a, a Series A or maybe a Series A extension bringing in, uh, I think you pronounce it, Modern Ventures. How much total have you raised to date? Raised about $25 million to date. And, and what's it like telling the story going out when you're negotiating a valuation with, again, your last capital partner? I mean, do they value one of these revenue streams more than another or is it all really equal? I think the, the interesting theme and trend, really, what we're seeing in fundraising for us and, and in general in the capital markets um, is it is a very healthy, robust market out there. And you're seeing a lot of flexibility. So when we went out, for example, we raised a Series A uh, about a year ago. And that was roughly $10 million. And we were planning on raising again until later in 2021, later this year. And what we saw, given our growth numbers and trajectory, was a lot of inbound interest toward the end of last year and, and the opportunity to be efficient, opportunistic, thoughtful about uh, incrementally adding capital to the business from the right partner at a low dilution and a, and a strong valuation. And so um, Modern was a, is a great partner and Liza has been great to work with. And they have experience across real estate, fintech, insurtech, and have been uh, another great partner to add to the cap table um, in, in the business. You said 250 million was the number for 2020. What was that number for 2019 in terms of total refis? Don't remember off the top of my head, but significantly less. <laughs> like, was it, I'm, I'm trying to back into a growth rate. Was it more than 100% year over year growth? Oh, so we so we announced it when we announced the round that we grew last year uh, monthly revenue six x, six x. Got it. So you mean that means you're probably doing something like forty to fifty million dollars in refis in twenty nineteen, two fifty in twenty twenty, and if all goes well, maybe you do eight hundred, nine hundred million this year. We are we are seeing things on a similar trajectory, so we're feeling really good about the growth, and we think this year is going to look uh, a lot like uh, last year, if not better. Kevin, we love that. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? My favorite book, and I will give you my favorite chapter of book, which is I still love Good to Great. I still love Level 5 Leadership and the contrast in Level 5 and Level 4. It's really, it's not about me. It's not about any CEO. It's about building the right team and systems and processes uh, and culture. And uh, still love that, uh, that lesson uh, to this day.
Number two, name a leader you're following or studying. I will say one of the leaders that I follow and have gotten been fortunate to get to know is Nigel Morris, who co-founded Capital One and co-founded QED. And his views and insights in, in QEDs, broadly speaking, around the future of fintech. I would recommend Frank Rotman's white paper, uh, The Copernican Revolution in Banking. So uh, say that again, the what revolution? Copernican Revolution, like as in Copernicus. The Copernican Revolution in Banking by Frank Rotman. Uh, you know, what Matt is... Uh, putting out on social media, Matt Risley and and Nigel, of course, in his interviews, it, it's really great stuff. And they have their finger on the pulse of, of the future of fintech, and they've been great partners in the business. Actually, I meant to ask this: Would you ever raise a two hundred million dollar fund and start doing these yourself to capture extra margin? Actually, launch a balance sheet business? You know, it's a great question. I think one of the keys to success is often do less and do it better. And really stay focused. And so I think we're really focused right now on scaling what is a great and fast growing business and, and really heads down on that. And I, I think we see tons of opportunity in the future to, to expand on the core business model. But I think we're, we are for the near, near term focused on just continuing to grow and, and build the core business, which is operating really, really strongly. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the, the business? Could you repeat that? I'm sorry. Favorite online tool for building motor refi. Online tool. Um, well, I would say to Slack, we are a Slack culture, Slack over email for sure. We use Slack a ton and Lattice. Lattice in terms of culture and one-on-ones and, and feedback has been really great for us. Kevin, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I aim for eight. I often get a little less than that. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Uh, I am uh, married and a proud... Uh, parent to a, a rescue boxer pit bull named Judy Garland. Oh, I love that. And how old are you? You said how old? Are you? Yeah, 40. 40. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? I wish I knew the power of technology. I, I came late to the tech industry and, and was in, in more of the public service political world, which, which I very much enjoyed. And um, what I love today is building mission-driven businesses that leverage the power of technology to drive exponential outcomes. Guys, MotorRefi.com, $25 million raised, launched in 2016. Kevin came in in 2018 to lead as CEO. They make money three ways. Origination fees as they save money for consumers as they refi those auto loans. Lenders then pay for a lot of these loans. And then they also sell direct gap insurance warranties, things of that nature. Kevin, we're rooting for you. Did over 250 million bucks in refis last year. We'll see what happens in 2021. Thanks for taking us to the top. Nathan, it was great. Enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, guys. Cut in studio. Kevin, what'd you think, man? You have fun? Yeah, it was great. Awesome. I appreciate you.